Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. I am your host, Shenandoah Connor, and always with me is my co-host, Jonathan Cutton. Say hi, John. Hey, Shenandoah. Another day, another podcast. Happy to, uh, to be here today. Uh, I'm really excited for our guest today. A little bit of a different lens or angle, I think, than we've been on, but I think something uh, that our listeners are going to see uh, a lot of value in. So I'm really pleased to introduce Mr. Chris Shuba uh, from Helios. Chris, is it Helios Quantitative? What's the full name of the, of the firm? Yeah. So the technically there's two companies. So there's Helios Quantitative Research, which was the original. And then the estate planning side is Helios Integrated Planning. And so we've got, we've got a couple, but it all goes under Helios. No one ever says our full name, just like my mom. <laughs> unless you're in trouble right <laughs> right unless i'm in trouble correct yes if it's christopher you're in the naughty uh naughty boy list so correct speak. i've got the same with my mom if it's jonathan look out it means uh <laughs> it means i am in the doghouse for sure well chris we really appreciate you uh joining us today and uh, i've gotten to know chris uh over the years and actually kind of keep bumping into him with um my own practice advisors that i coach um, so it seems like Helios is certainly out there uh, in the marketplace doing some great things. So, you know, Chris, the way we like to really kind of get into the podcast is maybe you could just share with us a little bit about your career path um, and, you know, kind of how you got where you are today. Yeah, the, the, the easiest way to think about my career path was kind of circumstances and blind luck. I, I really wish I had one of those stories where, you know, in eighth grade, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but, but I didn't. What, I guess what shaped my career path more than anything else, especially in, in the world of mathematics, was, um, was really college. I, I had a, and I've told this story so many times, I feel like, and I, and I always try to make it shorter, but in short, I, I had a statistics class that I was struggling with. And I figured out that if I rewrote the questions into baseball, that suddenly the statistics just kind of made sense. And by accident, I stumbled into the fact that the way that bookies build their lines wasn't really to be accurate. They, the, the, the idea by the bookies was to get an equal number of bets on both sides. And so sometimes the lines were mathematically wildly inaccurate. And so, um, so we had a little bit of fun with that throughout college, I'll say. And it, but it, it opened up the idea to me that there was kind of a, a level of consistency and almost hidden knowledge in the world of math. And so that kind of set a trajectory for me throughout my career of working in finance in various roles, um, eventually moving into the pure quant space, gosh, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years ago, and then eventually starting Helios Quantitative as there was this need that, that kind of came to light for advisors to bring what would previously only be available in the institutional world directly into their practice and, you know, show some more value to their clients. So short version of a long story, but there you go. So what, what you're saying is you're really smart. Is that what I'm hearing you say? You're a, a math whiz. And, and um, did you, have you used any of that from a bookie perspective? I heard a little bookie stuff. Yeah, there, I heard but... there might be an interesting story about uh, a little side story there in college, but I'm, I, maybe we don't want to get you in trouble either. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, there's nothing to trouble get into, but yeah, we didn't need jobs in college. Um, nowadays, everything is run in the framework, not, not our framework, but in a very similar framework of, um, of, of that world, including how daily fantasy sports are run now. But, you know, back in the day that really wasn't being done, you know, back in the late nineties when I was in college. Uh, and nowadays it's kind of pretty commonplace. So that trade has gone, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was more successful than I thought it would be. That's for sure. <laughs> Very cool. So, you know, for, for my sake and Shenandoah's sake and, and the audience's uh, sake, maybe tell us a little bit more when you talk about kind of being a, a quantitative guy, right? And quant in general, what, what does that mean? Because I don't know that all advisors really completely understand, um, you know, what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Quant is, is one of those words that everybody applies their own experience to it. So, you know, if, if you had a good relationship with something quant, then you have a positive connotation. If you don't, then you have a negative. It's a very polarizing topic in, in our world, uh, in the retail world. Institutionally, it's all quant now. I mean, there, you don't even have these conversations, just accepted that everything you do is going to be based upon statistical reasoning. And there's going to be a deep set of research behind why every decision is being made. There's no gut instinct. There's no you know, I, I shouldn't say there's no, there's tons of ego in it, but in, in the, in the retail advisor world, there's a lot of ego and that's good and bad, but it's, I'm the stock picker, you know, I'm the best. You hired me because I pick winners. We've done so many analytics on those advisors and they always have the worst performance, but it's just this weird thing. And so going on a tangent here, but quant is really an adherence to statistics. And the idea is that as you pile up statistical decisions over time, your odds increase of those statistics bearing out. I'll give you an example. If I give you a coin and I say flip it 10 times, you might get eight heads in those first 10 coin flips. You know instantly, just because you trust the statistics, that that's an anomaly, that you're not going to get 80% heads, that as you continue to flip the coins, the statistics bear out, right? And so it's the exact same way when you think about achieving long-run asset management goals. If I know that you're running a set of mathematics that's going to be right 72% of the time, if you do this for five years or 10 years, that's a deep sense of confidence and ability to create value as opposed to randomly making emotional decisions based upon what's been read or how an advisor feels at that point in time. And so the reason that quant wins and everything else doesn't relative to it is because the longer you do it and you pile up more and more decisions or coin flips, the more likely the decisions are to bear out and that increases your compound rate. So the net effect of quant, hopefully the goal is you have a known statistical set that you're working towards. You make those decisions over and over and over again, however painful some of them might be. You have good years and you have bad years, but the net effect is a compound rate different than not doing it that way. And that's why quant goes parabolic and the others don't. It's a very, very simple way of looking at the world, but because it's abdicating the quote unquote control that a lot of advisors need and their sense of self, it's very hard for a, a large contingent of advisors to really embrace that concept. Yeah, no, really interesting. And um, I like some of the things you talked about there, right? We, we read and see um, you know, how much emotions, right, ultimately dictate people's decisions. And in my own little simplistic cut and way of thinking about things, that's what I'm hearing you say is mm -hmm. it's around likelihood, right, and, and statistics. 
and trying to take the emotion out of decision-making, which is how investors, and, and many times to your point, I think financial advisors uh, don't necessarily make the right uh, decisions as it relates to their investments. So I, I, I love it and uh, really intrigued. So some of, some of these podcasts and Shenandoah, you've seen it. Um, I just love to learn. So I'm going to probably drill down a lot and I got a bunch of questions going, going in my mind uh, already. So let me ask you a question. Um, if, if it's okay, what I'd like to do is start with, it sounds like you've got, you know, two divisions, right? One is this quant investment side of the business that helps retail financial advisors. Uh, and then separately, uh, there's this estate planning component, which I know very little about that end of your business. So I'm intrigued in that as well. But can we start with the investment side and then we'll we'll drill down? Um, you know, so I, I think of you, Chris, maybe this is the right way to think of you or the wrong way, but kind of as a, a, an outsourced CIO, right? Someone that can come into um, a, you know, a financial advisor's business and help that practice create kind of a scalable investment uh, philosophy or platform. So mm -hmm. maybe you can help uh, us better understand exactly what um, kind of Helios Quantitative does. Uh, I think that would be really helpful. Sure, yeah. I think I think it's important to go back to, to our roots a little bit. So um, how I ended up starting Helios was actually by, um, uh, by complete accident. So back in 2010, there was an advisor, an Ameriprise advisor, just like you, um, that was part of the largest Ameriprise team at the time. Uh, I think they are still the largest single office team, but now other, you know, teams like yours have created, you know, large, you know, geographies. Um, and they said, well, how do we take all these quantitative abilities and bring them into the retail space so we can have a competitive advantage versus our, our peers? We can have more scale and efficiency inside our practice. We can have better margins and profitability. How do we do that, right? Back in 2010, it wasn't possible, but by 2013, it was. So I, I left uh, Columbia Threadneedle where, where I was on their quant desk um, and went to work at this practice. And they have, you know, I don't know, almost a couple billion dollars, I imagine, at this point. Um, and we started building essentially how to run an entire investment department in a retail advisory practice using all of the quant world. And so uh, when eventually enough advisors wanted to plug into what we were doing and it made sense to create Helios, uh, you know, that firm is still great friends and clients to this day, but we are separate companies now. We set out to effectively do seven things. And the first one is, we need to be a resource for detailed CFA level analytics of mutual funds, ETFs, individual stocks, and so on and so forth for an advisory practice. We need to deliver um, experienced quant experts that help build and deliver the investment models that are deployed into the accounts. We need to provide the technology and desktop tools that enable for portfolio design and analysis. So if you're going to combine a bunch of accounts together, that are all different models, what exactly has been created? So that portfolio analysis is, is absolutely huge. It's really probably the most important. We also need to have responsive and customized support for the advisory team and unique client needs that come up. So, you know, every day we get a phone call saying, hey, you know, my, my client has a highly appreciated position in Amazon. I'm concerned about a market downturn. I need an options beta hedge. Should I do it? And what would it look like? we pump that out. So a lot of what we do is ready to go. Some things we do are completely bespoke and that's the idea of an in-source CIO. Um, 
Number five, we have to make sure that we're responsible for all the training and competency of the advisors and staff. I do not like the part of our business where if an advisor gets asked a direct question, why is my model doing this? Why is my mutual fund doing this? And the answer is, I don't know. I'll have to talk to the portfolio manager. We believe in fully trained advisors that can look good and provide a great client experience. Number six, we do a lot of regular and intuitive communications, not only for the practice, but a lot of which are client facing and the advisor will white label. So that again, that client experience goes up. And, uh, and finally, you know, we believe in having very detailed compliance documentations for holdings models and portfolios. So a lot of advisors do an okay job here. We want them to get an A plus in compliance because you've taken your whole career to build uh, your practice and um, why risk it, right? So we do all of that, right? Uh, which is an insane amount of stuff. And we do it for less than the cost of what a normal support person would cost in the office. So lots of scale and efficiency that we bring in, tons of capability that couldn't be replicated. Um, and we're the cost leader. We're certainly not cheap, but we're the cost leader when it comes to delivering everything that I just mentioned. Wow, that's thorough. So you guys have uh, really thought through a process of of um, you know how to live kind of inside of an advisor's practice and create that level of scalability. I, I didn't realize, so you spent some time at a mutual fund company at Columbia Threadneedle mm -hmm. uh, as well. So that that's where you kind of got started and learned uh, kind of your craft. Well, it's interesting. You know, I started off in the mortgage business way back in the day. And I just got, I fell under a lucky star and worked under a gentleman who kind of became the godfather of the quantitative space in that world. And we were building models to actually figure out what large blocks of mortgages were, were worth, right? And this is 2003, you know, 2004, as things start heating up in that world. And in 2006, all the models broke, like nothing worked anymore. The, we couldn't figure out why in the world people were spending that for that, right? And years later, we would figure out, you know, the mortgage crisis and what actually happened. But what we really figured out we had was not just models that could understand valuations of large blocks of debt, but also really insightful ways of understanding the strength and statistical viability of our economic backbone that we exist within. And so after I left that world in uh, 2006, because when you, when you don't understand something, you got to bail on it, you know? And so when all the math broke, we're like, man, something's going on in this industry. We have no idea what it is, but um, the net of it was we had to move on. So I ended up working for Ameriprise Corporate um, in their strategy world. And then when they bought Columbia Threadneedle and they were running the quant, uh, they, they were going to form a quant desk, I raised my hand. I'm like, that, that's my world. And so it transitioned over. So I've meandered my way through finance from strategy to mortgage to asset management. And uh, it's all been additive. And it gives you a good perspective of just how the way the world works, in my opinion. But um but yeah, Columbia was my latest stop and before moving over to the retail space. Yep. Very cool. I, I, I didn't know that. So it's, it's great that you have that background as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I heard you saying, Chris, um, and I think this, you know, this might be a, you know, a good perspective of yours to get is, you know, it sounds like part of what maybe I'll say, I don't want to call it a challenge, right? But it sounds like mm -hmm. you must have a lot of conversations with a lot of advisors Mm -hmm. right? Who've got these egos that believe that they can actually do a better job on their own by picking stocks and uh, yeah, yeah. bonds, et cetera. Um, so, you know, as you think about it, you know, when, when you put 
your kind of you know business hat on, why do advisors not engage in bringing someone in with your level of expertise? I mean, outside of you know price and cost, which maybe we'll talk a little bit about later. But what do you think stands in the way of advisors not moving forward? Because it sounds like that's something that um, I wouldn't say is a challenge, but that you're certainly encountering and talking to a lot of advisors about the work you do. Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic question. And, and part, of it's, part of it's our fault because we're very, very, very transparent about the type of, it, uh, of person we are. We, we have one very, very simple goal, and that is how do we maximize the probability of a financial plan coming true? How do we give advisors a confidence that says, I'm going to make decisions now, over and over and over again, statistically relevant decisions now, so that in my mind, I believe that I am maximizing the probability of what I promised my clients I would do for them coming true, regardless of what happens in a quarter or a year or whatever it might be, this is the right path, right? So that's what we do as a firm. There's a lot of advisors that don't consider themselves to be financial planners, right? They, they consider themselves to be brokers or stock pickers. And of course, we hold ourselves out as not someone that supports that. So, so first and foremost, it's our, our fault. Um, we, we figure we built ourselves around that 25% of advisors that see themselves as a entrepreneur, business owner, um, planning type advisor. Um, and in generally speaking, there's, there's one of four reasons or, or at least one of four reasons that people will engage us. The first one is they want a competitive advantage and a unique story to help their practice grow. We come across a lot of advisors that are rainmakers. They are great salespeople. They are great relationship people. And no matter what story they're telling, they're going to attract clients. The problems start when they begin to hire junior advisors underneath them who are not rainmakers and they still need to grow. Those advisors need a competitive advantage and a unique story that the advisor down the street's not gonna tell. And they need to be able to demonstrate it because if they're gonna grow organically, they have to take that business from someone else. And we become a massive partner for advisors that want to grow, especially with you know, non-Rainmaker advisors. And because of all the consolidation in our industry right now, that's been an explosive reason people come to us, number one. The second one is we often run into advisors that might be rainmakers, but they also understand that it takes a lot of time and energy to run money in-house. And it's expensive and there's a lot of business risk there, right? If I put all of my hope and faith into one individual, if they're any good, they're going to leave for more money somewhere else and leave me in a lurch. If I hire the wrong individual, they're, they're going to be horrible and cost me a lot of clients and I got to fire them. So generally speaking, and I'm saying this with a big smile on my face, you know, a lot of times what everyone ends up with is something in the middle, someone who's not great enough to get hired away but at the same point in time, not horrible enough to get fired. And I say that horribly because I know a lot of really, really, really competent and awesome people that serve as an investment manager role in a practice, but there's a lot of business risk there for the, 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 the ownership group. And they don't want to take on that. They, don't, they want their team to be focused on what they do well. They want their advisors talking to clients and prospects, and they want to outsource what they don't do best, right? It's all about comparative advantage. Those are the two big ones, right? Competitive advantage that we bring in a unique story and then making sure that the team is focused on what they do best. Those are the, usually the two big ones. The second two are about more. So most teams that we come across are growing and they want more profitability. They want more margin. They want more scale and efficiency. 
and they want to be able to grow and grow and grow their practice, but they don't want that to equate this current staff to client ratios they have right now. They want an infinitely expandable resource in Helios so that they can grow and at the same point in time, let margins grow with them. So scale and efficiency is a big one. And the last one is the compliance and regulatory piece. They want more of it. They want to have a document like our, our calculations for a mutual fund or an ETF saying, this is exactly why I bought this, right? Um, when I made a trade in my portfolio, this is the exact mathematic framework that we use to make that decision. We believe it to be prudent, right? So again, a lot of advisors check a lot of great compliance and regulatory boxes, but the types of advisors that come to us, they want to sleep at night with no problems, right? And I, we can't, of course, guarantee that, you know, someone will never run afoul of compliance because we only control our little niche, but we do our part very well. So, um, you know, what I just mentioned is not a focus to a lot of advisors. There's a lot of advisors out there that are sunsetting, right? In five years, I'm selling my practice. I don't care. There's a lot of advisors out there that their entire pitch is how awesome they are at picking stocks. They're never going to hire us. There's a lot of advisors out there that, that frankly, even though I tell them, you know, we're by far and away the most cost-effective thing out there. The idea of spending any money on anything is is terrifying to them, so they won't do it. Um, so yeah, this just like anything else, you know, about half the advisors we talk to end up working with us, and about half go a different direction. And uh, that's just kind of how it is. It's our fault, and it's just the nature of the industry. Well, and I, I think in general, it's always good to just know like who you serve best. You can't be everything to everyone. And it's just smart business to do that. And you're not going to be a right fit for every advisor. Mm -hmm. um, while you're talking, I'm, I'm going to pull a, I'm going to pull a cut and I have two questions, Ooh. <laughs> two questions for you. Um, but I was just hearing some things. And so I, the two questions I have is first, I'm just really curious if there are like, I, we're talking stats here. What are the statistics on your like how well the Helios model works versus the you know I'm a stockbroker I'm a picker kind of thing like if if we have any numbers on that I always like okay you know in general they perform better but what what does that actually look like um, and then the second one is I mean you're talking about okay this is the right fit if you're these are the four things that you're wanting to do and this sounds like you kind of advisor then how does somebody go about engaging what does it look like actually working with you and, and being part of that practice since you're not an in-house um, resource. How does that kind of look? So those are my, mm -hmm. I'm pulling my, my cut and those are my two questions mm -hmm. that I have. The big ones. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll forget the second one by the time I finish answering the first that's one. Okay. Um, I mean, that happens every time John does it too. So I'll remind you. <laughs> that's usually yeah. my plan. Shenandoah yeah. usually writes down the second question. Just so yeah. you know, I didn't write down her second question. So, <laughs> awesome. Um, so performance is, is, can be looked at in so many different ways. And perspective is far more in a way more important in how someone engages with performance than the actual performance of itself, right? Um, and so I'll give you some statistics here, but an example of this would be, if you're a advisor that really focuses on long-run financial planning, maybe you said, I'm gonna pull back the reins in, um, in 2020. I'm gonna take risk off the table because I have no idea what's happening here. And that's what my clients want me to do, right? they probably underperformed in 2020, right? But those advisors wouldn't call that underperformance. They would call that the cost of protection. I pulled back the reins. I willingly gave up some potential upside for future downside protection. And that is my cost of protection, right? And then the question comes down, well, if I had done the same mathematic thing using, using options or some form of a delta hedge, what would have been my cost there? And was my 
cost of protection cheaper than what I could have done with derivatives. And that's where you get into that whole perspective conversation. There's other conversations that'll be, just be super raw. Did you win or did you not? right? Did you have more? And then the question comes down to, well, what benchmark do you want to use or blah, 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 blah. So returns are always a very interesting question that first come into perspective and then come into raw numbers. Statistically speaking, what I can say is all of our models are also indices with S&P Dow Jones. I think we're S&P's largest client now. But anyway, um, so they go back to first value dates of you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, depending upon the model. And we have a blended benchmark like you might expect, you know, 50% stocks, 50% bonds, you know, so on and so forth. If you just look at all of our models on a month by month basis since their first value date, um, and you look at the percentage of time that they're ahead on a rolling one year basis, it's about two thirds, just above two thirds. So 60, you know, eight, 69% of the number, but it's all about perspective on a one year basis. As you stack up statistical decision-making and therefore hopefully create the compound function, you want to see the statistics bear out. So if we take it from a one year and we make three years worth of decisions, historically speaking in our indices, it's about 89%. As you get to five years of decision-making, historically speaking, just above 96%. And as you get to 10 years of decision-making, again, the compound rate is really taking over at this point, it's north of 99%. So nothing's perfect in our industry, but if you are a one year, the ends justify the means, how did you do versus your benchmark at all costs and you're constantly hopping between strategies and constantly looking for the next big thing, Helios is not your client, right? We, we, are, we are not a good partner. If you're sitting here saying, how do I have deep confidence in my three, five, 10 year capabilities for my clients? Helios is a fantastic partner. That's just us laying it out there on the line. But you know, there, we're never going to be the very best in any one given year. We're never going to be the very worst. Um, that's just the nature of mathematics. But we're, again, focused on this five, 10 years in the future, the, the financial plan concept. And what I'll also throw in here is portfolio design is the key to everything here. So all of our different models are all mathematically different. The reason you want different models working at all times that are different, not only just in name, but in mathematics, is that that mitigates the risk of one crisis wiping you out, right? So in 2020, modern portfolio theory worked. Buy, holder balance, do nothing, and it worked out. You took a little dent in March and life went on. But that exact same approach in 2000 permanently altered the financial plan, right? Hopes and dreams were different after that if we did nothing. So what worked in 2020 didn't work in 2008, didn't work in 2000. So how do you build portfolios that are never mathematically exposed to just one thing? That you can take a dent on one side, but the financial plan is the same before or same after as it was before. That's the statistical mission of Helios. If you really boil it down, we want our advisors to look across the table and say, look, I don't care what crisis comes along. We're going to have some models that do well, some models that absolutely suck, but that's on purpose because we want mathematic diversity. But the goal is that no matter what your hopes and dreams were before the crisis, they're going to be the same after. And we can do that and we can show back testing whatever you want for 2020, 2008, 2020 to have or 2000 to have that confidence that whether it's a bull market or bear market, mathematic diversity is something that's statistically probabilistic. Let's do it. Right. Or Mr. Or Mrs. Client, just trust me. I'll handle it when it comes. I don't know any high net worth client that just wants to trust. 
They want confidence. Confidence is the level beyond trust, in my opinion. So now I'm getting on a soapbox. It's about to cave in. So I'm <laughs> take a drink of my smoothie here and uh, wait for the next. Oh, wait, I got another question. But Eric, you yeah, I got another was. question. I'll put it out there. But no, I like the soapbox. I really like that long range yep. thinking. And the. I mean, there's definitely that passion and energy behind it. And mm -hmm. definitely feel like um, we're raising the IQ you know, level here of, of the room and, and of the, the podcast. I think we're going to start looking even smarter here, John. <laughs> we're in the long <laughs> yeah, run. My 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 brain hurts a little. <laughs> yeah. I can use more problem. big words too, but I don't know what they mean even if I use them. So I, I will say before we hit the second part of the question, which I forgot what it was, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> what, what you're saying, Chris, resonates a lot, right? As someone uh, who's been a comprehensive financial advisor and built a business around helping people achieve goals. I mean, to to make this a little simpler, Really, what I'm hearing you say is it's not about the best return. It's not about out, you know, outsmarting uh, the market every year. It's about building probability into models where you've got a level of diversity that almost gets you through any kind of period of time, not to get the best performance, not to get the worst performance, of course, but to actually help clients get good performance and at the same time, be able to stick with their plan and achieve, you know, whatever their financial planning goals are. Is that directionally right? It's directionally right, but I'll add a little piece in there. And that is that by doing things the right way on a short-term basis, you create strong mathematic influence that actually harnesses the most powerful force in investing, which is the compound rate. So when you look back at any one individual year, you say, oh, it's not the best, it's not the worst. But when you start stacking up all the years together, you're like, it's the best, right? It's the collective value of the things that happen individually that um, that create this compound function. And that's why the rich get richer, the big get bigger, you know, and, and people lose all the time. And again, because, and I'm just saying this a big smile on my face, but advisors are great salespeople and they're the best at selling themselves. And every mistake they make is excused away and every, and every mistake that someone else makes is highlighted and we're going to move on from them. But there's very, very few advisors, and it's generally the most successful advisors that are best at this, where they're able to look at themselves in a way that's external and say, am I doing the very best thing for what my clients have hired me to do? Okay, what did my clients hire me to do? They hired me to deliver their financial plan. Okay, how do I do that? with the most amount of certainty, the least amount of risk, and the most amount of comfort. Well, it's gonna to point to Quan every time. I'll be straight up honest with you. It makes me sick to my stomach that a large part of our industry believes that the right decision to make on March 25th of last year was to go all in on tech stocks. Oh, dang it, I missed an opportunity. That's crazy to me. To add risk to a portfolio in a global pandemic with having no idea what the real outcomes were going to be, but to look back and see it as a positive to add risk to a client's account that could have been financially devastating for them if it didn't work out, but just because it did, well, that must have been the right answer. That's what's wrong with our industry. And we stand as a very vocal and in our position, we've taken the high ground against that type of looking at our industry. And there's going to be a lot of advisors out there that work that way. We just don't support them. No, well said uh, and makes makes a lot of sense as you say it. Uh, definitely resonating. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I'm definitely feeling like I need to say, you know, can I get a hallelujah in here? <laughs> just because of like, I'm just I, I, a little little fire and brimstone happening, <laughs> but in a good way, like like you said, like it's about managing risk and and it's not it's about the return, but also minimizing the risk because that's about looking at you know out for your client in all aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know we're getting close. I want to hit the second part of the question because I do also want to make sure that we get to the estate planning thing because I'm definitely interested in that as well, but. Um, if, if we had an advisor that's listening right now and is like, yes, I want to do that for my clients. I want to take advantage of that. I'm just curious, what does that engagement look like? How do, how do they engage with you? How do they work with you? Yeah, we, we, uh, we get to know them as a practice, make sure we understand the ins and outs and make sure we're a good fit. Um, you know, we want to be super transparent. Um, we have, uh, you know, a simple due diligence process doesn't take very long to get through, um, to see if we're, you know, if, if we fit their needs. Um, and if that's the case, then we come in and we customize the implementation of their practice. So generally within a couple weeks of engaging us, their new models are up and running. They're systematically or operationally in place. It does take a little bit getting used to maybe, you know, a couple months of talking to clients and just getting used to having a, a new partner in place. Um, uh, but usually within a couple months, teams are up and running and, and it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we like to spend a lot of time getting to know advisors because, so much of what we do is customized. We have a lot of stuff ready to go out of the box. There's also a, a huge part of what we do that's, tell me about you, where are you now? You know, as an example, um, almost all of our models are constructed out of an advisor's existing holdings because we want there to be low level of tax transition and, and cap gains. We want it to be comfortable and smooth for clients so they don't see, you know, an entire portfolio, you know, turning over. Um, so a lot of what we do is customized and we want to get to know folks a little bit. So, um, you know, our website is, uh, is Helios just like the God of the sun, H-E-L-I-O-S, driven.com. I'm sure you put it in the show notes. That's a great place to start. You can always engage us there. Uh, you can throw my email in the show notes if you'd want to as well. And you can shoot me an email directly and uh, myself or someone on my team will reach back out. But we're pretty easy to get to know. Um, you know, we, we, we run our, we run our, even though we've been growing now, we're, you know, quite a bit, um, you know, we still kind of operate a lot like a small business, so. Yeah, I love it. And, and you answered a couple of the questions. So, you know, I'm going to drill down, Chris, on one or two things on my mind. And then I think, Shenandoah, you're right, we pivot uh, over to the estate planning side of things from a time perspective. But um, you, you, you answered one of the questions a minute ago. I would, I would, in, I would in, uh, assume that um, advisors, you probably get the question a lot, what about taxes, right? If I've mm-hmm. been managing money, uh, you know, after tax money for years and there's some appreciation, uh, hopefully, right? But I think you kind of answered that one that you're able to, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of take that into account as these models are built out. Is that accurate, Chris? Correct. Yeah. So so, so when we're talking about moving from one model to the next model, we want to make that as t- we're pretty good at that. A lot of times also, some highly appreciated accounts are going to be take a while, right, for one reason or the other. And as mentioned closer to the top of the call, we're also involved with those, right? So if you do have highly appreciated accounts, we might be involved in the hedging strategies or a macro movement in an algorithm might say, well, even though your account, which is highly appreciated, is not following this algorithm or model, um, this is what that model is saying. And should we think about some of those changes for your account in a little bit of a bespoke way? Um, so whether or not, you know, an advisor is using our models, uh, well, combination of ours and yours, right? We collaborate on the models, the collective model together, 
on an account or whether it's being used at a macro level for other accounts, whether we're doing the hedging underneath, whether we're doing the individual holding analysis to determine whether or not there's upside and we should you know, think about moving on or pairing out the gains. You know, as I said, we're, we're, we're a service, we're not a product, right? So um, I maybe didn't say that, but that's a good theme of ours is that uh, you know, a lot of what we do is ready to go, but a lot of what we do is reactionary to that practice as they're in source support, the investment related folks on their team. So those folks are talking to clients, adding value and the minutiae work is pushed onto us. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Thank you for the detail. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing I just wanted to hit quickly is it sounds like um, you know, your team really kind of becomes part of the financial planning or uh, RIAs that you actually support, meaning um, you know, it sounds like that advisor gets to kind of white label some of mm -hmm. your research and some of your views on the market. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to put, in, put words in your mouth, um, but it sounds like as well, you might be available with advisors, clients uh, for consultation uh, to help them maybe win a big prospect or something along those lines. So can you drill down on that? I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I think, I think yeah. I'm understanding that I might be correct. Yeah, you nailed it. Almost everything we do. So whether it's, you know, in-house material, client facing material, you know, almost always the advisor will take our graphics and logos off of it, which we designed it to be easy to do, slap theirs on it and move on. Um, so that's very, very common. And you're right, we support a, a lot of the existing clients and prospects. Um, so, you know, number of times when a, when a big prospect is on the line, we'll be involved with that conversation if we're allowed by compliance. Um, another thing we're very active in is RFPs. So a lot of big growth oriented advisors are going to come across, you know, the churches or the endowments or whatever that are local to their community. And, and uh, we get involved with not only helping them, you know, make the final three in terms of the RFP process, but also um, sometimes we, you know, we dial into actually those um, finals presentations. And so, yep, we get used as part of the team and you guys get to know us, we get to know everyone. Um, you know, COVID has been a wrench in the plans, but you know, this is going to sound funny, but it, it is, you know, we're, we, we get to become friends with all of our advisors. And so sometimes when we travel, our advisors are like, I insist you're going to stay in, in my guest house. Okay, cool. We'll go stay in your guest house. And next thing I know, I'm holding the baby, you know, so it's, um, you know, it, 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 we become part of the family and that's exactly how we built our business. We like it that way. Do, do you do dishes? I, I do do dishes from time to time, but that's only, um, you know, if, if it's not awkward, but my job at my house is to do the dishes. So it's a very natural thing that, you know, my, my wife generally cooks the meals and I generally clean up. It's generally how it's kind of inbred in my DNA. You need now, to so. train my husband because they haven't <laughs> figured that out. And my kids, like I do the cooking, <laughs> someone else is supposed to clean up. That, that right. hasn't been been learned yet but uh yes. it does sound like there is a cost to visit john's house and it's doing dishes doing dishes yeah <laughs> dishes or, yeah. or or light weeding as well because i hate to weed yeah <laughs> well I, awesome. we're running out of time so i do want to make sure that we talk about the estate planning because that was something too that's really interesting so tell us a little bit about that how do you support advisors in that regard yeah that you know that's um you know, last year uh, was a big year for, for that company. I'll never say this again in my life, but our estate planning business grew 7,000% last year, which was a ridiculous number. Um, and what, what happened is, is that, you know, obviously with our asset management, we're focused on making sure a financial plan comes true. 
And it became very clear to me through just our relationship with so many advisors that the last piece of the financial plan, the legacy, was something that wasn't getting done, was really expensive, took a very, very long time, and frankly, was a revenue source that advisors were missing out on, right? They were referring business to an estate planning attorney and very rarely, if ever, getting a referral back, right? And so we said, well, we can automate this. So we built a technology called, you know, heliosplans.com. And essentially what it is, it looks a lot like financial planning software. You log in, there's all the details that you fill out, you know, who do my guardians need to be and what happens when I die. And then um, our algorithms aggregate all that state by state specific and create all the documents, right? The, the trust itself, all the powers of attorney, um, everything that you can think of in an attorney quality estate package gets created. It then gets sent to the estate planners on our end. And all of them are deeply experienced estate planners. They review it, make sure that nothing wonky is going on. If something is, you know, we make sure we call and talk to the advisor or the client directly if that's allowed. Um, and within 48 hours or two business days, we send you back the entire thing. You get it notarized. And we do it all for about uh, 500 bucks. So, what that does is allows advisors to provide, in most cases, beyond attorney-level capabilities as a new revenue stream for the advisor, either transactionally saying, well, the estate planner charges $2,500 or $3,000, the advisor charges $1,500, Helios gets $500 of that, advisor makes $1,000, great. But what a lot of advisors do is actually increase their financial planning fees. So they say, look, we're going to increase our financial planning fees by $500 a year. The first year that money goes to Helios as an example, but in subsequent years, it's now recurring income by adding the estate plan and the reviews and so on and so forth into the process. So word got out on that thing and um, we are loving it. It's a fantastic way to create, our our tagline is comprehensive financial planning has a new definition and um, we're going to market with that. We're having a lot of fun with it. So Uh, short answer to a long story. What a what a really good idea and value add. And I love that. I, I didn't know you guys did that. So just to make sure I understand it correctly, mm-hmm. it's you, you have estate planning attorneys ultimately on your team as well um, that review the documents and that uh, that ultimately deliver uh, the estate planning documents or is it the advisor him or herself that that are kind of signing off on the quality of work? So we, we, we're very, very careful to make sure that the advisor is only coordinating the information. Um, actually, in our system, if the advisor or the client tries to do anything that's too complex, we actually won't let them. There are certain estate plans that if you're trying to disinherit a child, we'll actually red flag it and say, no, 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 no. Take that to a local estate planning attorney who can take 30 hours with these people. You, that's not one you want to do. But the 80% of plans that really are fairly easy to do, those are the ones that we want the advisor involved in. Um, we have two different paths the advisor can take. Path number one is that the advisor plays quarterback and you know we bill the advisor and it's a white labeled thing through their practice as if they had you know attorneys or state planners in, in-house. Um, or they can have us work directly with the client. If the advisor doesn't want to have any piece of it whatsoever and say, you know, this just doesn't feel right to me to be involved. We can interact directly with the client, get it done for the same price. And now it's all done and the advisor can keep advising on it and keep, you know, analyzing it and do things for the financial planning process. But we can take the advisor completely out of it or we can let the advisor be in the stream. Really depends upon what the advisor is comfortable with. But once an advisor works with us a couple of times, they get really comfortable really fast. It's always the unknowns in the beginning that, that you know, might cause some concern. So. 
Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, and it's great that you have the, you know, kind of the two different options of how to, uh, how to handle that. I think that's great because you're right. So many advisors, uh, you know, don't necessarily get that client to follow through, right? To really get to the estate planning attorney. It's always a recommendation, um, but that follow through isn't always there. And it sounds like your, what you built is great. So I think that's mm -hmm. going to, uh, going to help a lot of advisors and, and, and a lot of clients, uh, as mm -hmm. well, which is great. So as we wrap here, Chris, um, you know, I'd ask you anything we didn't ask you that we should have, or that you wanted to share. Um, and then secondly, you know, kind of like what's next for Helios. I mean, you're doing a lot. Uh, I think, uh, as, <laughs> as a quant guy, it might be statistically impossible, as you said, to grow 7,000% again. <laughs> yeah, I'll never say that again. I'll sh for sure. But, but yeah. Uh, Maybe you can just kind of anything that you wanted to share or uh, share if there's uh, anything next for you guys. Yeah, interestingly, the, the the next little four way we're making right now is in a little bit of the fintech space. So um, we are we've built the first phase of a larger, I want to call it portfolio analytics engine. And um, the beta version actually you can you can log into now. It's completely and totally free to any advisor. Um, and it's called Helios Tools. So if you go to heliostools.com, uh, what it will allow you to do now is do a, a, a risk tolerance questionnaire for your client, come up with your risk score. It'll allow you to put in uh, your models that you're using now and do all the analytics on them. It'll allow you to um, compare entire portfolios to benchmarks or other models and get detailed analytics, you know, um, very, very detailed analytics if that's something that you look for. Um, and so that, that, that technology solution, uh, as we build phase two, will have a deep role with our existing Helios quantitative um, um, clients. And so there will be a lot of underlying functionality that kind of automates and takes portfolio management to a different level for our clients. But we're going to have a lot of stuff in that tool set that's totally free to the world. I'm, I'm really, really tired of these technology companies coming in and creating large financial barriers to fair analytics that advisors need. And so we're going to, you know, in a certain sense, democratize a little bit of the fintech space at the same point in time, building some backend solutions for our existing clients that, that we really need for our own scale and efficiency. Um, so we're going to keep going down that path over the course of the next year. We're going to uh, keep expanding our capabilities in the estate planning space. And of course, we're always building new algorithms out there on our, on our, on our asset management piece to, you know, explore all the new and cool ways of looking at, you know, confident asset management. So. Well, that sounds really exciting. I got to say, Chris, um, I mentioned to Shenandoah yesterday as we were preparing questions for you. Like, I don't know, this could be a really boring investment guy. I'm not sure what we're <laughs> going to talk about, but you're, uh, you got a lot of stuff going on, very entrepreneurial and uh, certainly on the cutting edge of kind of, you know, the old, Wayne, the old Wayne Gretzky analogy, right? It seems like you guys are really kind of, you know, skating, not to where the puck is, but where it's going. So mm -hmm. congratulations to you on all your success. I think we hit some of this before, but, um, you know, Shenandoah, maybe you can take it away and make sure that we, uh, we know how we can find Chris. If anyone wants to uh, engage Chris or learn a little bit more about what Helios Quantitative, or uh, I guess it's Helios Estate Planning, I think at least, uh, can do to actually uh, help, help, uh, help them within their practice. So amazing job, Chris. Thank you very much again for being our guest. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Uh, for everyone who didn't get those websites as Chris was sharing them for the estate plans, it's heliosplan.com. If you're looking for the CIO, 
resources, that is heliosdriven.com. And then those analytics tools are heliostools.com. And then correct me, um, I believe it's chris.shuba at heliosdriven is your website address, uh, email address. Is that correct? It is. Yep. And just one small edit for the estate planning. It's, it's Helios plans with an S. Plans with an S. So I'll make sure that that's in there correctly. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will put all those in the show notes and make sure that you can link to them and check out all of these resources, especially those free portfolio analytics resources. That sounds pretty awesome, um, to go play with and try out. And that's great that you're making those free and available. Um, so all of that will be in the show notes, make sure that you check that out and follow up with them. It sounds like they're doing some cool things and it might be worth following them and see what they come up with in the near future. Cause it sounds like definitely more to come. And, uh, if you think of anyone that would be a great guest for our podcast, please submit them as a, as a guest or yourself. If you think you might be a, a great resource for our advisors, we would love to have you on the show and look for us next week. We have another great guest coming up. See y'all then. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.